When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, what's up? Be the change hotline. I can't get to the phone right now. Leave a message after the beat. You're now listening to the Nameless Podcast, hosted by two sisters, Alicia and Sierra. Join us as we have intimate conversations with some of our closest friends about real-world struggles, lessons, and situations. Each episode will leave you thinking that was quite the experience. Talk to you soon. Welcome back to the Nameless Podcast. This is Alicia. And this is Sierra. And we are here with episode six of season three. How you feeling? How you doing? I'm breathing, you know, I'm breathing. Well, that's good to hear. That's good to hear. Um, yeah, so Sierra is on the phone with us today. <laughs> um, you know, a little technical difficulties going on, but we still going to get this episode done because of scheduling problems. Uh, but first and foremost, do you want to shout, uh, shout out the uh, socials real quick? Sorry, I can't talk right now. Yeah, I got you. You guys can follow us on Instagram at nameless underscore podcast underscore. So you can reach us on Facebook at official nameless podcast. All right now, and I think we are still, like I said last episode, waiting for a hundred follower on Instagram. So go ahead and follow us on Instagram. Uh, we are giving away something. I don't know what it is yet. Hoodie, t-shirt, something like that. Maybe a hoodie, t-shirt, maybe some from Beanie. I don't know. We'll, we'll figure out something. We've got to get the hundred though to, to determine what we're giving out. You know. Exactly. And today's episode will be posted on our YouTube, so you can go ahead and go over and follow our YouTube. What is it? The Nameless Podcast, Sierra, on YouTube? Uh, yes, it's the Nameless Podcast. Our logo is our picture, so you'll be, if you know our logo, you'll be able to know that that's our page. All right, bet. So you can go ahead and listen to today's episode over there as well. So let's get into it. So today's episode, we do have somebody else on the line with us. Uh, and you can go ahead and introduce yourself right now if you'd like. How y'all doing? My name is Beyondi. Thank you for being on with us. role for everybody who's looking at it and trying to figure out the spelling. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, did I spell your last name wrong? 
No, no. Oh. Some people say Roley or Role, but it's just simply Roll the East Island. All right. Well, thanks for being here. Well, I don't know what we're talking about. Oh, absolutely. So we will be discussing Biondi's uh, story. You know, uh, last season we did talk about uh, his story in our criminal justice episode, I believe. I forget what episode number mm-hmm. it was. I think um, it was like on the episode two, maybe. Yeah, it was really early in our season last season. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, we talked about Biondi's story. Uh, he is currently incarcerated in Texas. Um, so actually, I don't want to, you know, tell your story. I'd rather you do that, Biondi. Um, but yeah, today's episode, we're just going to be, you know, talking with him firsthand, uh, hearing about his, uh, life growing up and what led to him being currently incarcerated. So I guess the first question is, you know, what was your life like when you were growing up in Texas? Uh, I'm originally from Alabama. Um, I had a pretty good childhood. Single, you know, my mom was married when they had me, but you know, went through the single parent situation for a little while but I had a strong mother strong grandmother good support system so it wasn't just all hard times or nothing like that you know had a pretty good productive childhood coming up teenage years sports pretty much dominated my life so I was you know all about athletics you know I'm just typically kids growing up in the south what was it like growing up in Alabama? Was it different? Uh, my particular part is we, Phoenix City itself is country, but it's across the river from Columbus, Georgia. So Columbus is like the second largest city in Georgia. So we had, you know, pretty much the best of both worlds. So, you know, I lived in the hood, but, you know, the hood took care of itself, so to speak. So I've seen things I wasn't supposed to see, but you know, kids would feel okay to go outside and play and you didn't really have to worry about it. But then when we wanted a big city life, or not so-called big city, but, you know, a little bit more fast-paced, we go to Columbus and, you know, do what we do at the mall or whatever, hang out, concerts. Okay. Well, how was your... So now... Oh, sorry. Okay. Uh, how was your relationship with your parents you know did you grow up with your mom and dad in the house was your um i think you mentioned your grandma was a big part of your life do you want to talk a little bit about that and how those relationships were yeah my mom raised me she ended up getting married when i was about in fifth or sixth grade so i did have a male in the home so i had you know a male figure pretty cool guy pretty much took care of the house like a man's supposed to. They had no complaints there. You know, growing up and being a man and looking back on it. But, you know, my grandmother was a major figure. You know, that was the head honcho. So, <laughs> if I needed a second opinion, second opinion on a punishment, I'm calling grandma. <laughs> but I also had, you know, throughout sports, I had coaches that would, you know, make sure I get to practice on time. They'll come pick me up from the house. So in some situations where, hey, I can't pay for these basketball tournaments or these basketball shoes. And they, they was like, look, you just make sure you be there. So you mentioned you, play, you mentioned you play sports. What sports did you play other than basketball, which you just mentioned? Yes, basketball and football. Mm-hmm. Right, what was your favorite? 
probably basketball at first because I I really was scared to tackle until I got to probably junior high school. <laughs> and then once I got to junior high school and started getting some weight on me, you know, I I preferred football because it was like more physical. Okay, okay. It seems like your childhood was like, you know, I guess, quote unquote, like stereotypical childhood of a child you know like you were playing sports you had you know the support of your family members and all of that and I guess my main thing is you know like let's get into what actually led up to you know you being currently incarcerated because I think that's kind of a main question you know I want to hear from, okay. from you you know well I was uh I was married so I ended up moving to Houston with my ex-wife because that's where she's originally from. So I was doing the family thing out there, you know, doing, working, take care of the home, simple stuff. So, uh, you know, over time we met our downstairs neighbors or whatnot. So we was all right for a little while and then things kind of started getting rocky. So at the time I was working and, you know, we didn't really have problems financially, but one one specific time, for whatever reason, I don't know why, but my life get cut off. But I had just paid the bill, so we was trying to figure out what's going on. So when we called a phone company, uh, <clears throat> they tell us, you know, they pretty much mess, made a mistake. And come to find out, they really was trying to cut the downstairs neighbor's bikes out. So... While my life was off Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, you know, my downstairs neighbor who we were cordial with, they they knew about it. So they was like, man, let me run a uh, extension cord up to your apartment and y'all can have some light or whatever. So I was like, you know, cool. And then that Monday morning, they cut the lights back on, no problem. So uh, after that, my neighbor's light they get cut off so their lights are off for like a week so being a good neighbor I did same thing for them I extended that service to them I told them they can run the uh, extension cord from my apartment to theirs if they needed to plug up anything so once they finally were able to get the money to get their lights cut back on uh, you know I'm thinking everything is cool so a few weeks later the the victim's boyfriend he comes to me talking about I owed him like $200 or something so I tried to talk to him had a conversation with him like a man you know, and, you know you, explain everything why, why would he say you owed him $200 though because it seemed like it was like a reciprocal thing like he hey, helped you hey. out and then you helped him out now he's like you owe me money that's all oh, you owe me money hey, I feel like that should have been said in the beginning you know right, right. So, you know, I, I was feeling the same way, but the more I thought about it, I was like, either he's trying to squeeze me for some money or whatever the case may be. He should have just asked, can I borrow $200? And we probably could have went from there. But, you know, I just, I felt like he was basically trying to extort me. But, so I just told him, man, I'm not giving you $200 because I extended the same service you did to me and I did it for a week. So if anybody owes the money, it was you, but... I don't want no money, you know what I'm saying? Because, you know, those, that that wasn't running my bill up, having one plug going to your house. Right. Wait, how long ago was so, this? What what year was this? 
all of this happened well all these circumstances started happening in like late 2007 so it's been a while yeah I've been gone six, almost 16 it'll be 16 years uh, February 3rd 2024 it'll be 16 years wow that's crazy after after he came and asked you for that two hundred dollars, I bet you were just like, "Yo, man, all right, did you did you pay it to him? Like, what happened after that then?" No, I explained it to him as best I could. Basically, he didn't have no understanding. He just he just wanted two hundred dollars, or he just wanted some money for whatever reason. So once I said what I said, I left it at that, you know. So and and prior to all this, you know, we kind of stop speaking because I seen him do some things with his children that I didn't approve of so you know I guess they kind of took that as you know a slight to them or whatever but you know I don't believe in you know handling kids the wrong way so so I just distanced myself so after all that you know his tension became a little thick so he started having like I guess his friends or whatever whoever they were like a group of dudes hanging out every day that didn't normally hang out over there you know they sitting on the stairs making hostile comments to me because I had to go up this one set of stairs to get to my apartment so um, I'm babysitting during the day because my wife used to work and then when she come home we would switch routines and I would go to work so uh you know, it got to the point to where I didn't feel that it was safe for this child that I was keeping during the day. So my ex-wife made a complaint to the uh, the people at the apartment. And then it got to the point where I had to basically, when I'm getting out the car, I got a baby in one hand and then I got a pistol in the other just to make sure nothing happened between the car and my apartment. Right. Can we touch on that so, real quick, though? Like, is that... Texas is an open carry state, right? Like, you don't have to have a permit yeah. for any of that, right? Well, back then, you had to have a permit. Gotcha. Yeah, back then, you had to have a permit. I bought my gun from a gun store, but I at the time, I was in the process of trying to get a permit. Right, so, if you don't have a permit, you can still carry your gun. You just can't... Like, I can't walk around in Walmart with it or, you know, just basically that's what they call a concealed weapon like walking around with it in a in a holster that nobody can see but if I have it traveling in the car I have to put it in the trunk yeah out of reach basically yeah well damn I I I think that's kind of how PA is what happened I can only imagine though like what they must have been like harassing you with if that is like the main thing you thought to like yeah that was gonna be my question yeah and what was that? Like, what did they, like, what were they even harassing you with at that point? Because, like, like you said before, like, you reciprocated the, the favor that was reciprocated to you. So what, what was needed for the harassment? I get it, the, the $200, but it's like, what could they possibly be harassing you for when you were just trying to take care of your family, you know? Right. I mean, I, and I tried to confront him again. The second time I confronted it was a little bit more aggressive because I just didn't like, you know, I don't appreciate being bullied. I didn't grow up like that. And, you know, I'm gonna stand up for myself and I'm gonna stand up for my family. So, uh, you know, 
I guess he was a part of whatever gang. I didn't know what it was until I actually came to prison and then figured out what it was. So he made a statement like, I'm Congo and this, that. So he was gone. I was like, like, well, I don't know what that is, but y'all ain't gonna uh, continue bothering me or making statements to me and looking at me sideways. And, you know, when I come up the stairs, they don't want to move. So, you know, I guess they was trying to intimidate me or whatnot. So, you know, I don't know. That must have been tough, though. Like, you just coming home from work and going about your everyday life and you got that going on because, right. you know, $200. But so so what happened after that then? I, I How long did that go on where you were constantly being, like, harassed and stuff coming home? Uh, uh, that went on for, like, the back and forth went on for, like, a month, probably about three or four months. And then one day, I finally, I took my ex-wife to work. And when I came back, he was sitting on his patio. So, well, he said something to me. So I was like, man, you ain't talking about nothing. So when I went on up to my apartment, I went in. By the time I made it to my back bedroom, I hear a loud bang. But when I come back to my door, nobody's there. So I just closed the door. So when I went to go pick her up that evening, after work, when I opened my door again to lock it from the outside, I, from the, uh, I guess, because when I was inside the house looking at the door, I couldn't see it, but when I was actually standing outside, I could see a footprint. And then when I looked at the side of the door, my door was split, so I put it together like, you just kicked my door. So, uh, you know, I told my ex-wife about it. So when we come back to the apartment, we had a friend, she was walking the dog, so when we was walking to my apartment, him and his girlfriend sitting on the patio. So, you know, the girls, the ladies start having words. So I don't argue with females. You know, that ain't mine. So, you know, they had words or whatever. So it got to the point to where it was so heated, he jumped over the patio like he was about to hit my wife. So I'm like, you know, I had to stand in. So my friend, she... He the one diffused it, so you know it just got it just kept building and building. So not long after that, my coworkers, you know, they knew what was going on because I had to, you know, I was late for work trying to get that situation taken care of about my door. So they was inquiring about it, like, man, what's up with dude? You see a tripping? And you know, I was like, yeah. So uh, get fast forward to the night of the incident, you know, I was at my coworker's house and they was asking about it again. So I was like, I'm so tired of dude with the back and forth. I got a Leah there. So uh, he was like, why you think you a fight? So, you know, I was like, I don't know. Matter of fact, I need to go see. At that age, that wasn't probably the smartest thing to do looking back on it but uh what, hmm? you wanted to like fight him is basically what you said you're like yeah. yo let's settle it let's settle it <laughs> yeah. in the streets real quick you know like yeah. I mean I feel like that's kind of like a valid thing though I mean it is though because like he was harassing you you called him out like if you want to fight let's fight you know what I mean <laughs> yeah you know where I'm from we you could do it well back then anyway if I feel like today if people would do more fighting and less shooting we'll have a be all right 
Yeah, times have changed for real on that part. So, uh, you know, we, you know, we get jump in the car, go over there. So I end up kicking his door in. But when I kicked the door, I guess something was behind it because he, al- he had already kicked in his own door in the previous incident. And then, uh, but when the door cracked open, you know, it was pitch black. Nobody, there was no commotion in the, in the house. And uh, so me, I'm thinking he's, you know, nobody's there or he's just off waiting to shoot one of us. You know what I mean? So my, co- my co-defendant, Corey, uh, it was three of us, actually four of us on the case. It was a guy sitting in the car. It was uh, three of us that actually went to the apartment, Aaron and Corey. <clears throat> so uh, Corey ended up just pushing the door on open and going into the apartment. Well, it's pitch black, and he kind of he disappeared into the darkness once he went to the back. So me and Aaron are standing at the door. I'm telling him, let's go, let's go. And next thing you know, we hear two shots ring out. So me and Aaron, we just take off running. I don't know who was shot at the time. I didn't know if Corey got shot or what. So when I jump in the car and I turn the corner and spin the block, I end up seeing uh, Corey running through the apartment. He jumped the fence to get in the car we leave. So there's not really nothing said in my head, I'm like, either he shot the dude or, you know, I don't, either shot and missed. I don't know if anybody even been hit yet. But once I take them back to their apartment, uh, I end up calling my ex-wife and that's when I find out who got shot. And she was like, uh, Yvonne just got shot. And I uh, I end up telling Corey, I was like, you shot the girl. He looked at me and I was like, man, I think you killed her. So when I come, I leave there, go to a payphone, call my wife again. Then I came on, I came on to the apartment. When I get there, I run up the stairs and uh, ask my wife, was she okay or whatnot? And she was, you know, telling me what was going on. Then the detective came. Uh, the boyfriend, he was basically like, he had something to do with it, just throwing it out there. But uh, they end up putting me in the back of a police car. They put, I think they put him in the back of a police car. They put Corey and, in the back. You know, no, Corey was even on the scene. They didn't. His neighbor. No, I can't. My the the victim's boyfriend. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, uh, you know, normally at murder scenes or shootings, if they have a suspect, like right after a shooting, normally they'll put your hands in some like in paper bags or a plastic bag to like yes. to, be, to uh, preserve the gunpowder residue mm-hmm. that a lot of people don't know about. Yep, they instantly have to wrap your hands as soon as any type of scene happens because if you go to touch something else, you're literally getting rid of the evidence that could possibly be there. Right. So uh, they never did that to my hands, so I didn't know about that until I read a John Griffin book just reading the basic novel and wrote my lawyer told him about it and he rushed up there probably two days later and questioned me because he was like if they really thought you was the one that did it they should have bagged your hands too so uh so I ended up we going we went to a uh, homicide and I was 
in homicide all day because all this happened at like two in the morning, one thirty, two in the morning, something like that. So I was from the time I got in the back of a police car to the time I got the homicide. We got the homicide at like that morning. It was daylight by that time, so it had to be about sevenish. So uh, I stayed there all day, literally till that night. They questioned me, asking me. So I, being, you know, the so-called friends, and we as a culture got to get away from the like. There's a there's a difference in snitching, and then there's a difference in, you know, just messing over somebody's life. Right. You know, because if you did something, hey, you need to take your own case. Well, can I ask you a quick Instead question about that? Um, your interview with the with the police. You know, how was how was that? Was it like they were were they hostile with you? Were they like already seemed like made their mind up that you were the one who did it, even though you were a part of like a group, but you'd never went into the house. You know, like did they already have their minds made up about that? Well, they did the whole good cop bad cop thing. One one cop well one detective was telling me like man we're gonna we're gonna kill you we're gonna give you the death penalty and all of this and i'm looking at him like yeah <laughs> i didn't kill nobody i didn't shoot nobody i didn't shoot a gun i didn't kill nobody right and the only so thing I basically you could possibly be like i guess guilty of is like you kicked the door and the door opened you know but like everything else right. like you had no part of anything else you didn't even go inside so how- yeah, basically everything inside the house, I didn't do. And my my trial attorney tried to argue that because what they call transferred intent. So let's say you're standing behind your door when someone kicked your door in. If someone kicked your door in and the door hits you, you fall and hit your head and die. Yeah, that's, I could be held responsible for that. But like being held for someone else's actions is like it should have just been him with a murder case me with a possibly like burglary case I do have a question though Arthur. so we know this happened in Texas I'm not pulling no racial cards or anything but were you the only black male involved in this thing that yes. they're accusing you of yes my two co-defendants were they were my co-workers they were, they both were white. And back in that time, it's kind of like uh, things are just changing around then, honestly. Like, that's, that's literally, what, like seven, eight years out of the 1900s? Like, I mean, it happened. Also, as far as incarceration, like, like, you what was basically... Your... Hmm? I was going to say, I'm sorry, real quick. What was your neighbor's ethnicity, too? They were Hispanic. Gotcha. They were Mexican. You can you can say what you were saying, number. <laughs> sorry, sorry, but uh, <laughs> like like black people in America, if you if you get a case for pretty much anything, you're guilty until you prove yourself innocent instead of innocent and proving guilty, and then. The majority of, uh, I'm going to say minority people, that goes for blacks, Hispanics, and whoever that's not white. The average person can't afford an, 
attorney. You know, they they was trying to charge me seventy five to a hundred thousand dollars to represent me on this case. And you know that five years worth of working for my mom. That's a lot of money, honestly. Yeah. So it's like if you don't have so no money, you know, five say the best, don't go to trial. Cause, you know, when you I have a I had a state uh appointed attorney and it's like how can you defend me when the same person pays you, the judge, and the DA? So I don't know if you're in cahoots with them, so hey, I'm gonna give you him. You know, I got another case, I'm you know, we could work this out. It's like this is literally going on in our justice system. Where yeah. swapping people out, uh like my co defendant. Aaron is out right now. And, uh, you know, they went to him with, like, 25-year offer. And they was, like, trying to offer me something like 50 or 60 years. Like, how, how can you how can you offer him something way less but you offer me the, you know, exuberant number? So have you been sentenced for this case? Yeah. Yes. I ended up, uh, going to trial but prior to going to trial uh, Aaron they, they ended up locking me Aaron and Corey up because when I when I when they before they picked me up the detective excuse me before the detective picked me up I had already told Aaron and Corey like I'm gonna be the first suspect because me and the dude been into it and uh you know that's just common sense. So, so was anything documented with you and the other person that they were claiming this all happened with? Was anything ever, like, with the neighbor, like, with the, the Wi-Fi, was the police ever called before this incident? No, not, no. No, we didn't have any uh, history of the police being called over there for, for our incidents. He had the police call because he was like abusing his old lady. But as far as us having a confrontation, the police being called no. Yeah, so there was there was nothing documented that there was ever like physical altercations, any like verbal defeats between you guys. So Right. Like that and that's what kinda of confuses me because like how are they instantly just gonna say like you're the one that did it, but there was never any other prior like out for anything that ever happened between you guys. Right. I never had fired all this. I didn't have any felonies or anything. So, you know, I, uh, prior to going to trial, uh, Aaron ended up telling the truth to his lawyer. And his lawyer got with my lawyer and they both got with the DA. And he literally told him that Corey did this murder. DeAndre didn't do this murder. He did not kill her. And the DA, he, his response was like, you know, he didn't really care. He, he felt that I did it. I had the motive. And I was the one he was going to go to trial. Yeah, but the so, thing uh, is, that's based off of, like, thoughts. Like, aren't police supposed to base things off of, like, concrete evidence? Like... Like you said, bag your hands, like do all that type mm-hmm. of stuff. It seems like he already had like a biased opinion of you 
before even going into right. it and was like, no, I don't even care. So, like, what were your thoughts about that, though? Because I could only imagine you're sitting there with these detectives and you're telling them, like, I did not go into that apartment. I did not shoot anybody. I was the only thing that I did was kick. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The door, and they're sitting there telling you, well, no, we think you did it. We think you did it. Like, right, they're telling take, you you're lying at that point. Right, like, take us through that point, you know, and then also, like, your decision to take it to trial because I'm sure they, like you said, they brought you a plea deal. You know, that's a risk going to trial. So just take us through those thoughts and those feelings during those two situations and those decisions you had to make. Well, uh, my decision to go in the trial was basically that Aaron knew that I didn't do it. There was no other witnesses besides the victim's boyfriend. And he said when he jumped up, he could see clearly. So when my lawyer... I mean, well, that came out after trial, but I knew that no one else had seen what happened besides us. So Aaron was basically the only witness of what happened and who did what. So my attorney was like, okay, well, I could put in to file a motion for order of trial, which was he was trying to get Aaron to go to have the judge to make Aaron go to trial first because, you know, I know y'all see on TV shows where somebody's like, I plead the fifth. Okay, so when you plead the fifth, I don't have to say anything to incriminate myself. So if he had us testify during my trial, he would have just got up there and said, I plead the fifth. I plead the fifth a hundred times. And he wouldn't have had to answer any questions because anything he said in my trial could have been used against him in his. So that's why my lawyer was trying to get the judge to make him go to trial first because he had pertinent information that could have helped me. But, you know, as in the legal system, it's designed for you to lose. Yep. So, you know, the judge, she didn't 
he didn't approve that, so they made me go to trial first anyway. So, you know, I could have, that could have been major, you know, within my freedom and, you know, how I was sentenced and what I was convicted of. And, uh, you know, when you, when you facing a life sentence, I was 21 years old, like two months past 21 and, and, you know, my head spinning. So I had, you know, I was always blessed since I've been incarcerated. I've always been blessed to have, like, older cats, you know, who kind of gravitated towards me because, you know, they see I'm not the so-called average criminal. But I didn't graduated high school. You know, I attended college, been to the Air Force. So I don't have your normal criminal background. You know, this, I didn't see this coming. It seems like it's a wrong place, wrong time type situation. And now you're getting the brunt of the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. But I have to take as a man and what a lot of men don't do that are in my position, you know, even though I was wrong by the justice system, I have to still look at myself and say what I could have did differently mm-hmm. so I wouldn't have been in a position for the justice system to mess over me. Right. So... I shouldn't have been there at all. But, yeah, you, <laughs> you, know, you know, you have to be accountable. You got to be accountable for everything you do. And I commend you but, for taking the responsibility of that. You know, like, that's a hard, like, time, of course, in your life. But for you to still sit here how many years later and be able to say, no, I, I take accountability and I know, like, my actions could have been different and that you grew from the situation at that point, you know? Right, but I just feel like I shouldn't have been sentenced to life without parole. Not. You know, I didn't, I didn't harm anybody. Yeah, especially if they didn't do that concrete steps that they need to do when it comes to finding any evidence on you. You know, they it was just a well, I, I it's an accusation at that point. Like the detectives right. felt you did it, so they didn't want to do anything different from. Saying no, nope, he's the one that did it. We have our, we have our suspects. You know, we have, we have who we need. Right, and most times that's the case. If they have just a little evidence, and they can basically, who is a trial is basically who can tell the best story. Yeah, you know. So, and that's what separates good attorneys from mediocre ones. You know, are you engaging to the jury? You know, we got to deal with a jury who really don't want to be there. They missing work. You know, they impatient. They they don't want to be sitting up in no courtroom all day. You know? So, and then, uh, you know, once these incomplete investigations on the state's behalf, that happens all the time. You know, like, they dropped the ball in my situation. They didn't thoroughly investigate my case. The, the, the most they did was probably took my DNA. My DNA wasn't in there, you know? So it was like, okay, well, we could spin this story. He got motives to do it. He did it. It seems so. like it's like sometimes with police officers, they like, they don't even want to take the time to properly do it themselves. Like they just want to be like, okay, no. fine. This is this looks fine to me. Sign it next. Like you know stuff like that. And they don't understand that this is literally like people's lives that they're like affecting because of their yeah. Not wanting the to- case in point. I was just going to say because of them not wanting to actually do their job properly and correctly. Yeah, that leads me to think of like when 
our brother is murdered, you know? Like, how much did our sister do for the detectives on their behalf? And they were like, oh, we didn't even know about that. Like, we were giving them information that they should have been able to find, you know? And it's like, it's kind of the same thing. Like, they didn't want to do their job properly, and they just ran with whatever they had. Yeah, just to get to the next case then, but here we are years later, and Beyondy is the main one that is affected out of everybody. So, like, what were your thoughts, though, like, sitting in that courtroom after that trial and the verdict and the jury comes in and it's read, you know, what was going through your mind then? Like, during the trial, I was, that's probably the most scared I ever been in my life. Like, every day going in, sitting down in front of people you don't know, this supposed to be a jury of my peers, but none of them look like friends. And I'm sitting across from the defense, I mean, the, the state's prosecutors, and, you know, they they talking about me, and I'm not even recognizing who they're talking about because they're like, he was in the military, he's a trained killer. This is how they're trying to paint me. And I'm like, who a trained killer? I'm, I was an aircraft mechanic. <laughs> they ain't trained to kill nobody. But these are the tactics they use to get convictions at all costs because it's political. You know, assistant DAs are trying to become DAs. Assistant DAs are trying to become judges. You know, it's all to further their career. They don't care about who they convict. That's why Texas leads the country in exoneration. Wrongfully, wrongfully convicted people because they will just run you through the system. They don't care about it. As long as they get the conviction, look good, hey, I'm going to get the vote. Okay. You know, they're sitting in the courtroom talking about Beyondi did this murder. He wrapped the gun up in a hoodie and threw it on the side of West Hammer Road. How did you know that? Like you was in the car. That's nowhere near the truth. But these are the type of things that they allow them to do in the courtroom to paint me as a murderer and you know basically unfair so what was your so you know when someone go ahead I was just gonna say I like I generally I know this is like the second time asking you but like what were your thoughts though like when they read that like guilty cause your charge is what capital murder yes uh going after that I went to trial for a week so at the end of the trial, I go back to the holding cell for the weekend. Well, I went back to my my wing for the weekend. They was going to do the deliberation to come back Monday. So my lawyer come talk to me. He was like, you know, I think the judge feel like you didn't do it. But I didn't go to a trial by judge. So what she did was she gave the jury options. So they gave the jury the option of felony murder, capital murder, and burglary. So in my mind, I was like, okay, well, they sat through this trial and listened to the evidence. They know that I didn't commit this murder. Because even the victim's boyfriend, he said, when the when my lawyer asked him, did you see Beyondi in your, in your apartment when you heard those shots? Because he said he got up and he could see clearly. He told them, no, I did not. They asked him, how many people did you see? He said, I only saw one person. And that was Corey because we were out, me and Aaron was outside the apartment. So, you know, and they still found me guilty. But during that weekend, I had hope because, you know, I prayed. My grandma, I talked to my grandmother. So, and I had talked to my mom because she was down in Houston for the 
for the trial hurt of my aunt. And uh, so when I thought about it, you know, I'm, I'm an optimist, so I'm, I'm not going to never think negative. So, uh, you know, I was like, if they give me the felony murder, I still got action at, you know, getting somewhere between two to 20 or something like that. So, you know, that's a whole lot better than automatic life or death. So, uh, and then I was like, if they actually paid attention during the trial, I should just get the burglary. And I asked my lawyer, I was like, if they convict me of the burglary, how much time will I have to do? He was like, you'll go home. You'll go home. So that Monday, we go back in there. They talk to the jury. They finally bring me in. And, you know, we stood up. They started reading it out. And they said that, you know, on the count of capital murder, they find me guilty. My hearing must have went out. And I'm looking at the judge. She's saying something, but I can't hear nothing she's saying. <laughs> so I look back at my mom and my aunt. And my mom, I guess she's like, please don't break down. So, you know, I held it together, but I was torn. I was torn. And then when they took me out of the courtroom, took me to the holding cell, that's when I like literally broke down. Broke all the way down. You know, it's a broken feeling. It's a lonely feeling, you know. And by this time, I was just a week before my... 24th birthday so, so young. and you know I'm I'm thinking like my life is ruined it's over with wow I can only imagine man like that is like you you see this type of stuff on you know you know TV and stuff like that but, like, like having a conversation with you about this and like just trying to picture what you like seeing it through your eyes and your words, man, I hurt for you so much, bro. For real. So, yeah, that's the that's the most pain I ever went through emotionally. But you know, like I say, I always been blessed enough to have people around me when I was locked up. To like, no, you can't. You know, you can't just let this go. So. They'll come to prison and dude start talking to me like, no, you can't, no, you can't be getting depressed. You get depressed, you're going to let them win. So I started getting, you know, I kind of dedicated myself to going to the law library every every morning after work. You know, start learning and then someone just started helping me understand murder cases and showing me like why I shouldn't been convicted and you know, it just the passion grew from there, and then I just always kept faith, kept faith, and then you know, I end up being able to get an attorney here recently. So, uh, I team legal solutions, Mr. Fuller and his team, you know, they they've been real supportive, and you know, they've been it's the most work I've seen in my situation. Because for from 2011 all the way to last year, you know, it was basically a standstill. Because once again, minorities, we don't just have a whole bunch of money sitting around to give a lawyer. You know, rich people, they have lawyers 
on retainer. They just pay them just because and just in case something pop off. But, you know, most of us live check to check or semi check to check. So it was like, you know, where am I going to get this money to, you know, be able to afford an attorney? But, you know, Mr. Fuller and his staff, they, you know, they were, they were willing to work with us and, you know, let us make payments, even though sometimes it's hard meeting those payments, you know, they, you know, they, they, they understand. Right. So where would you say your case is at right now then? You said there's some new developments and obviously you have this lawyer now. Um, you know, what are, what are they working with right now? And you know, are they digging up more evidence? Are they trying to piece more things together? Uh, right now, Aaron, he came home earlier this year, around March, April. So he made parole, came home. And uh, Mr. Fuller and his staff, they reached out to him prior to him getting out. And he was he told them that he was willing to help by making, you know, signing a foreign affidavit, you know, of, of the event that happened and letting them know that I wasn't the one that committed that murder and Basically, I didn't know a murder was going to take place. But he wanted to wait till he actually got all the way out of prison. And I understood it because, you know, he, you know we, we got some trauma, mental trauma to a degree. So he just wanted to make sure he was all the way free before he decided to, you know, help me. Because he, he was afraid, basically, they were going to, you know, if you help him, we're not going to let you out type of deal. But... He's home, so you know. Right now, the next step is to go interview him and try to get the, you know, the affidavit taken care of, so they can start putting uh, the appeal together. Well, That's good news. A hundred percent. Do your lawyers feel confident that they have like a? You got you guys have like a strong chance of getting a new trial after um, Aaron makes a statement. Yeah, he he feels pretty confident. He he said, you know, he read my case and his team has read my case, so they feel like I told him I really didn't even want to go to trial again because that's too nerve wracking. I used to have all right hair on my head and that stress. <laughs> that's probably half the reason I'm bald now. <laughs> oh man, so I was you know I you know going to trial is basically rolling the dice. So that's basically putting my life in strangers' hands again. I don't have the energy for that. Now, if that was the only option, I'd go to trial again, cool. But I told him, you know, if we can get time served or 20 years or 25 years, I'm cool. Because in the state of Texas, I would be up for parole right now. In the state of, in the state of Texas, with so-called violent crime, you know, they uh, you have to do 50% of the time before you come up for parole. I have 16, almost 16 years in right now. So anything from 32 years on down, I'll be up for parole. And, you know, I've been in different programs and working. So you know, I pretty much stay out of trouble. And, you know, I'm showing that I'm trying to be rehabilitated. 16 years, man. I can't even wrap my mind around that, bro. Like, 
the amount of like mental like fortitude you have to have like i so commend you and like there's just no words for what you've been through bro like the unjustness the unfairness the overall just like what is going on and i can only imagine how you feel because it's your life and you're living it right like what do you think you know needs to change within the justice system um for people that may be going through the similar thing as you uh don't do crime you out there <laughs> just straight up if you out there doing something you don't supposed to be doing that's why you're ahead because once you get in trouble it's hard to get out of it you know if you selling dope I know whatever you going through might be hard at the time I understand it I'm from that you know so you know it looks easy but there's other careers and fields out there you can go get some money in you know, because at the end of the day, you doing the crime ain't worth you throwing your life away. You're away from your kids. You're away from your mom. I can't hug my mom like I want to every day. I can't hug my girlfriend like I want to every day. You know, I can't walk outside, just look up at the moon. I haven't seen the moon in months. You know, just simple things. The simple pleasantries you have, you know, you know, just walking to the refrigerator and looking in and you don't even want nothing. You just want to walk up there and see what's up. Just a small thing. No privacy. You got to use the restroom in front of somebody. You know, you got to... It's, it's a lot, man. You got to live with people you don't know. You probably don't get along with. You know, I know people that died in here. I know guys that have been stabbed. You know, I know guys that have been raped. You know, it's it's, it's not so easy in here. And these kids coming up listening to this rap music. Stop listening to the rap music. It sounds good. Let's just take it for what it is. Entertainment. Because those guys ain't living that life. 99% of them not living that life. They're not going to tell you about the hardship of being locked up. They're not going to tell you all your friends going to turn their back on you. Talk about you. They're not going to tell you that some of your family not even going to mess with you. You know, that pretty girlfriend you got or, you know, that that sexy dude that woman got or whatever she got going on. Hey, they leaving too. And it takes special people to be in your life when you locked up. I have, you know, my mom been here day one. You know, my, my girl, you know, my hat's off to her because it ain't easy loving somebody that's locked up, loving somebody you can't touch. I think I'm nice. I gotta listen. Go ahead. I was gonna say, but I think overall, though, the people that are still like standing by your side, like they have to have the same thoughts. Like we know he didn't do this, so like why right. would you not want to support somebody you know to not actually commit the crime that they're, you know, being accused of, or convicted of, and all of that, you know? So most people don't even understand it because. You know somebody, everybody knows somebody that went to jail before. You know, I got an uncle. He go to jail every other Thursday. You know, he gonna do two weeks and get out. You know, everybody knows somebody that's been to jail, but prison is a whole different monster. <laughs> you know, prison is, they gone for some years, so you basically forgotten. 
or like an out of sight, out of mind type thing, you know, which is right. kind of, it's messed up to think about it that way, but that's literally how it is. And that's what, that's what they want. And, you know, it's also layers to that. It's deeper than that because it's like in the United States, black people make up about, let's say, 15% of the country. We don't even make up that, but I'm going to give it 15% of the country. So we live in a country that is only 15% black people. How is it that the prison system throughout the United States is over 50% black and minority? So it's it's deeper than just, you know, black people ain't committing more crimes than white people. But, you know, a lot of people just don't look at it or view it that way. And yo, Beyondy, like this, we we gotta have to do a part two with you, for for real, for real, because for real. there's a lot of things that you've been mentioning that Sierra, we we've covered already, you know, and get into have another chance to like expand on that even more. So we're definitely gonna need to do that, hundred percent. Okay, I'll be down to do that. <laughs> uh, but the knowledge is power. Say it louder for those in the bag. Thank you. Right. <laughs> <laughs> no, but we, I didn't want to cut you off or anything like that, but we are getting close to the end of the episode. So, like, within like two minutes, what do you have to say to those who support you? Any message you want to get out there um, regarding your case or just anything? Uh, everybody that's been supporting me, I appreciate you. I love you. No hats off to y'all. I know I ain't the easiest person to deal with sometimes. I get impatient, but I appreciate everything you do. And, you know, it's not many outside of that, but, you know, to the listeners, I appreciate y'all for listening. Keep supporting Nameless Podcast. These sisters are a blessing in my life. They're like angels, giving me exposure to get my voice out to let the unheard be heard. And, you know, if anybody want to help contribute to the lawyer fees, uh, I guess you can comment or leave a message with Sierra uh, and Alicia and, you know, We'll have the details on that within, I guess, with the description. Oh, yeah. We're going to link yeah, up. Yeah, we'll get all that from you, bro. I'm post okay. that for sure. Okay. So I'm about $14,000 off from paying the attorneys off. So, well, we're going to get something working. Yeah, we're going to get something right. working, bro. <laughs> you know, but we do appreciate you coming on and sharing your story and all that. And. Keep your head up. Definitely doing a part two. Definitely doing a part two. I'm I'm thinking maybe even for the next episode. Back to back episodes. I was gonna say, maybe Beyondi. maybe the next episode, honestly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. So but I really well, do I definitely appreciate you, appreciate you all. And of course, we appreciate girl. you too, bro. And keep your head up. We're praying for you every single day. We tell your story to everybody we talk to. Literally. So. <laughs> every day. <laughs> so stay strong, bro. But thank you for being on today. All right. We love you, bro. We love you. Get head up in there. Yeah, all right. We will do. All right, Sierra, you want to drop the social? You you drop it. Okay. Thank you. So you can uh, follow us on Facebook at Official Nameless Podcast, on Instagram, nameless underscore podcast underscore. Uh, We are also on YouTube, and today's episode will be posted on our YouTube. Um, That is Official Nameless Podcast on YouTube, I believe. Um, So, yeah, there you go. Anything else you want to say, Sierra? 
Nah, I mean, this is just a good episode. Like, like Beyonce said, if you have someone that is incarcerated, put yourself in their shoes. You know how they might be feeling. Uh, know that if you know them as a person, that they didn't do whatever they are being convicted of or, like, accused of, support them as much as you can support them. Even if it's just writing a letter, answering a phone call, like... Do something that you can to make sure that they're good in there because it is hard in there, harder than it is out here for us. And I can tell you that firsthand. I work in a prison. Like, I can tell you. They they need the support that they can get because one person can change their whole outlook on everything. So, Beyondi, we about to get your address, so maybe you're going to have some people send you some letters and stuff. Yes, yeah, so we'll, we'll drop your address. We'll, we'll put everything. Like, y'all, write, write my boy a letter. Y'all, write my boy a letter. Any last words for you, Alicia? No, I second all of that, and I definitely want to have another conversation um, about this, you know, and like expand more on a little bit like the criminal justice system again, and especially, you know, we're from Pennsylvania and uh, you're in Texas, so there's a big difference between how things are handled from up here than down there. So, definitely, yeah. next episode, we're, we're, we're talking about that for sure. Okay. That is it. Um, All right. Well, this is the Yeah, you have a safe night. This, oh, 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 Wait, no, hold on. Yeah, do you have, yeah, have a safe night, bro? All right, y'all too. <laughs> All right, well, uh, Alicia, take the phone out of here. All right, well, this is Alicia. This is Sierra. And you're listening to the Nameless Podcast, and we will talk to you soon. Bye, guys. Peace out. Hey, what's up? Change hotline. We're closed right now. Leave a message and I'll get back to you soon. Nameless? Hey yo, is this Nameless Podcast? I heard y'all was being the change. Guess I missed y'all. I'll, I'll see y'all later. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.